This is Marketing Heroes Unfiltered, the journey to CMO, the podcast where we interview high-achieving B2B marketing professionals to know their stories, struggles, and insights in this fast-paced and competitive industry. Hosted by Leslie Carruthers and Danny Muscaplatt, Axel is a seasoned and award-winning marketing pro. He is a global and multilingual technology executive with startup and large cap experience for companies achieving accelerated growth targets, category leadership, and successful exits, such as Merrill Corporation, Datasite, Colt, TomTom, and Intralinks. Axel has been in the cloud space since 2000, the subscription economy since 2003, vertical SaaS since 2006, and tackling product-led growth since 2017. His background is in B2B SaaS, and he has a great command of all marketing disciplines. Over the past seven years, he has mentored dozens of mentees, especially in the reg tech and fintech sectors. He is fluent in multiple languages and has a deep empathy for operating in different cultural settings. So this is a podcast about heroes, which is why you're here. Thank you, Axel, for being with us today. That is a high standard to be called a hero. I haven't done anything yet. <laughs> nope. I've seen your LinkedIn profile. I got your number, man. All right. So tell us, how do you start your day? Yeah, I'm, I'm usually a fairly quick riser from, from sort of bed to, uh, to desk. About a year ago, my new team, we went through this exercise. I'm like, what do you do first thing in the morning? And I'm like, well, I go for the dog walk for half an hour. I go running. I do this. I'm like, look, all I'm doing is just bed, coffee, check out what's going on at work. After that, I take a little bit of a break in terms of doing my stretching and a couple of other things. But I'm fairly quick to just get the day going. I've always been one to just wake up and go. I, I don't even need an alarm clock, believe it or not. I uh, sort of have a natural internal body mechanism that just allows me to figure out, hey, seven o'clock it? Yes. Okay, go. <laughs> so um, usually fairly quick to, uh, to just get going. And then perhaps the first thing that I do is just uh, organize my, my day, you know, my thoughts, what do I need to achieve? And I do that uh, using a tool called Notion, a little task list, uh, checking in uh, in terms of my calendar, who do I meet, when am I going to meet them? And uh, do I have a story? Do I have an ask? Uh, review, is it needed? Is it not needed? But that's kind of how I organize myself. And then I take a bit of a break, do the personal stuff at home as well, you know, before the morning rush hour begins, so to speak. Got it. That's great. Great. That's one thing I've always been jealous of is that, uh, that morning person energy. I, uh, I am same, same. slow to rise. Yeah. I'll stay up late. I'll work late. But getting up in the morning is a, is a skill. This is, of course, a, um, a podcast about heroes. And as you know, from all the Marvel movies, every hero has their origin story. Could you tell us your origin story? Absolutely. So uh, personal characteristics, uh, grew up in Belgium, German national, lived in UK, Netherlands, Mexico, and now in the US. Speak a few languages as a consequence of all that. And, and you know, um, I kind of feel like I sort of stumbled into my career. Um, I spent some time thinking through what am I good at? What am I not interested in? And I went through some formal exercises with uh, not psychologists, but whatever you call these people who sort of give you assessments and tests and what have you to really just think through, you know, what, what am I, what am I into? And one of the things I realized after, after college, I wanted to go to uh, learn Spanish. So I went to Mexico and I quickly got tired of not doing a great deal. I, I actually did want to be productive. So I started to, uh, to, to look for work and I found a job 
uh, it's kind of strange my, in the sort of place where I was living at, there was this German guy who spoke English but no Spanish. I was into the internet. He was trying to set up an, an ISP, internet service provider, back then. And uh, why well, I spoke German and English and Spanish, my Spanish at that point was, I felt it was good enough. So we kind of, even though I, I, my internet knowledge was a little bit limited, but I felt like there was a good overlap of let's, let's just work together. So as much as it wasn't the co-founder, but I think there's some credibility in being employee number one. There were other sort of founders in that. And that was kind of my journey into this technology, marketing, and commercialization thing. And again, I, you know, I was young at that point and great to live in a single life in Mexico and sort of having to set up these points of presence everywhere. I was traveling every two, three weeks, going to one of the many nice beach places in Mexico. And this was prior to the, to the Narcos days of Mexico. Okay. So as much as uh, Mexico now has some issues here and there, but I never really ran into any uh, major of these issues. And that's kind of was my entry point into, you know, that, that technology space, uh, marketing space, did events, did a lot of uh, sales enablement, did some selling as well in terms of company representation. And I felt like this is a good home for me. That's great. Thank you Very for that. Cool. We love to talk about problems. So big, hairy problems, because we're talking with folks who are up to big things. Are there any evergreen problems or when we're talking with our clients, oftentimes, you know, it's... What's working, what's not working, time to results, bandwidth, could be something specific to the product space. What's, can you share something that you've either dealt with and wrestled to the ground and have some good ideas about what to do there or something that you're dealing with currently that you can share about? Yeah, maybe a bit of context. I just joined a new company, an employer, Guidewire um, Insurance Software or software for the insurance, I should say. As part of that, you know, um, a VP product marketing, um, I'm, I'm sort of in a place, in a position to reevaluate a little bit the skill set that we have. And uh, the team is doing their work without sort of concrete leadership for, uh, for 10, 12 months. And so they've kind of lost a little bit their purpose, their focus. Other departments and areas have, you know, grabbed onto sort of responsibility areas. And I now find myself in this position where I have to do multiple things give the team purpose again, lift them up individually as a team, get some wins on the board. You know, a, a new starter always needs to make sure that they're well received and seen as well. So getting getting those wins out there as well. And then sort of medium term, uh, I do need to describe what success looks like. I have a little bit of liberty to, uh, uh, to, to describe. I'm not, you know, being told what success looks like, which is nice, and start shaping that. And I have a good idea in terms of what I what I'd like to do. And I think part of because you asked what you know, other clients and how they think about it is, I think success is something that you actively pick. Well, you know, one thing that I'm sort of uh, embracing more and more on the strategy side, for example, is that it is important to say, here's what I'm going to do, but you also need to be aware of the consequences of the implications of, therefore, I'm not going to do something else. And mm -hmm. I think as part of that, my philosophy is also you have to pick your successes. There's probably three, four things to pick and choose from, all of which have pros and cons and minuses and what have you. There's some areas that you have to avoid, but it's an active choice. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, and, you know, if I extend on to that again, it's finding a, a good balance between what I'm concerned about is finding the balance of what I have on my team 
feminine, masculine energy. Uh, you know, um, um, men and women are different, but there's also a lot of overlap. I sort of think about more in terms of the energy zones of, you know, that, that nurturing that a woman can give to a team environment, that drive that sometimes a, a man can give to a team environment. And both of those, by the way, are present in men and women. It's about finding the balance. So that's something I'm thinking about in terms of, you know, uh, opportunity to expand and grow the team, a balance between youth and experience. So I love young people, the innocence of trying, of, of you know, of failing. But trying also means at some point you can have success coming out of it. And I'm more interested in the learning and ultimately, it's my, my role as a manager is to sort of manage the risk impact of that failure. But, but really, the balance of youth and experience. And then also, let's face it, you still need you know, technical knowledge, hard skills. So can you write? Can you analyze? Can you crunch numbers? These things that are needed as well, on the one hand, on the other hand, the soft skills. Can you present at an executive level? Am I comfortable to do a podcast? Uh, these type of things, uh, which obviously need to be need to be nurtured and grown over time. So that's kind of what I keeps me up at night, what I worry about. And also, uh, given that I'm new, it's something that's sort of top of mind for me. That's great. Yeah. So being that you've, you've been in this industry for quite a while and starting in Mexico in the early days, how do you think that marketing, product marketing has changed over the course of your career? Great question. Um, so I think when I started, the word product marketing didn't exist. And, and I think in my case, I've actually done all of the core aspects of product marketing, demand generation, marketing operations, product marketing, uh, uh, awareness type of marketing, brand PR, etc. Product marketing has become more and more defined over the last five to 10 years. And, you know, you, you, you grab from left areas left and right, like competitive intelligence, market intelligence, pricing, content marketing, et cetera. And I think what's changed is one technology. You know, what you can do nowadays with uh, voice of customer research, insight analysis, all of the sort of tools for doing pricing research, value understanding, willingness to pay, that didn't exist, you know, 15, 20 years ago. I mean, I still remember when I started off literally going at conferences and events filling out handwritten surveys, asking people, what do you make of this? What do you make of that? So that afterwards you can come up with some kind of a semi-structured research of uh, what your insight was. That is now all automated. There's fantastic tools out there that can just, whatever you want to do, it's just available. The other element, which to my surprise is uh, product marketing specifically now is really two things, positioning, messaging. I mean, you will not believe how many CEOs I speak, uh, CMOs keep asking about this positioning, messaging, positioning, messaging. And I'm like, how difficult can it be? And the reason it's difficult is because before you have something, so A, no research being done. It's just, hey, I heard this and I like to implement it and off you go. B, you don't test. So, so there's no testing that goes on in terms of you know, what do the clients say? So not internal opinions, but what is the, I mean, basic of market research, listen, listen to what people are talking about, not your sales rep. Yes, that's a vehicle to get hold of uh, customer input, market input, be out there, be out there in the market, actually talk to uh, prospective buyers. I'm a big believer in prospective buyers and your actual buyers to get a sense for what you should be doing. And then the other thing is just stick to something, you know, don't rip it out six to 12 months just because there's new head of sales that comes along or, uh, uh, you know, the CEO comes and goes. And so those, and hence uh, positioning, messaging is like, oh my God, how many times, how many times over can you do this? There's so many frameworks right. out there. They're all different, but how many times can you like keep doing this? And there's almost like an entire generation of product marketers. All they do, positioning, messaging, positioning, messaging. Yeah. <laughs> the Edson with me. <laughs> So do you have a, a like a secret recipe for where you fit into the organization? And I'm thinking of a very specific question, like 
you've got the product team, of course, and you've got the sales team, of course, and then you've got kind of the campaign planning side. But it seems to me that almost every position and message would have to go through your team. But it's not a linear path, right? You don't always go in order. The, the true marketing teams have to figure out how to get a message out. And so they're talking to sales, but they're also talking to you. Do you have a framework in mind for an organizational design that you think works really well or that you've helped to design? It's a collaborative effort. Product marketing in many ways is orchestrating those opinions and views and tries to quantify them, bring them up to a point, you know, moving towards an empirical standard. But um, every organization is different. Sometimes so the product side of the house has much more opinions, sometimes the sales house. I'm fortunate enough that my, my CEO cares a lot about positioning and messaging. So my team has spent some time about figuring out stuff and talking and, and then he comes in and is like, nope, done something else. And yeah. and as much as it could be frustrating, but I find it very helpful. I I I I strongly believe ultimately you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've never been a CEO, so but but I'm going to put an, a, something on the CEO job description, which is it's the CEO's prerogative what messaging is going to be, and and really quite often it's being marketing does it, but it's really it's the other way around. It's the CEO who needs to have a consistent message, employees, shareholders, customers, uh, the, the market at large. And um, yes, marketing can can help, can sort of drive, can substitute, but strong believer in alignment with the CEO, um, very helpful that front. Yeah, and then uh, look, uh, currently I, I report into the product organization, so you know a bit more about, about product centricity, which is fine. I've worked in marketing organization, worked in product organization. I'm not really too worried about where exactly it sits. I am concerned, or I, you know, one of my sort of driving uh, recipes is. Is it aligned? Like, do we understand the pros and the cons? Have we talked about the pros and the cons? Have people expressed their perspective? Have we tested it? And that's kind of more, more, you know, my my, my approach to uh, to developing good messaging. I have frameworks as well, right? So one of the exercises I always like to do is: what are you good at? What are you better at? What are you unique at? So good is kind of um, basically table stakes. If you are in a certain industry, you got to be doing these things. So you better be good at it. What are you better at is, you know, the interpretation of how you do things. You need to have a visibility of your competitors. You, you don't just operate in the absence. There's a market. How do you do things better than, than the person to the left and to the right? But what you really market is what are you unique at? What is nobody else doing? That is your differentiator. And you sort of have a list of 10 things are table stakes, two, three things we are better at, and one thing, one thing is what you're unique at. If you're unique at 10 things, you don't have a business. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of the, the essence of marketing. You, you then, you know, your messaging is then aimed at that one thing that you're really unique at. And, and then that's something I try to, to, to instill also in my team when, you know, the messenger comes back and that's sort of very neutral language, like, look, who's this for? What does it do? What, what differentiation? Let's go into the details. So, yeah, it's kind of a... Uh, another asterisk behind me. That's great. Fantastic. I can see why you're doing podcasts. Actually, you're slaying that. I'm hitting that little marker button like crazy for things we'll tear off to put on LinkedIn. Great. All right. So you mentioned what keeps you up at night. You mentioned a bit earlier that getting your team back and all rowing in the same direction and clear about what it is you're out to succeed at and what you're going to leave by the wayside for right now. And if the team is balanced and you have everything that you need, to be successful at what you've chosen to be successful at in the organization. Is that that's situational for where you are now? Totally get it. As a marketer, what keeps you up at night? 
Yeah, I, I think it's um, one of the things that's exploded and you know, we started off talking about, hey, what's changing? One of the things that has absolutely changed for the entire marketing industry, chat, GPT, uh, and really generative AI. I've been personally experimenting with even re-downloaded again, Bing. Like, who the heck knows about Bing anymore? Like, Bing doesn't exist. There was another browser called Brave, which sort of is helpful for crypto stuff. I played with that for like two, three years. And then this Bing thing comes on again. But, you know, it's integrated with Bard and sort of a different way to 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 do search and, and how you sort of find information. But uh, I've recently, again, gone back to ChatGPT just because it does a few things differently. But marketing as an industry is really going through two fundamental revolutions. One, cookies are dying, and we've all gotten used to sort of that, that, that you know, measurement via uh, websites visits, and then you've got intelligent cookies, you can sort of put it back to uh, your, your custom audience. That is all going to get much more difficult in future and, well, in future and present. Maybe you have 100% understanding of who's going to your website. It's going to go down to 70 to 50, to, and you'd be operating with sort of 20, 30% of knowing who's who and what's what. So, and then from there, Got to open up your, you know, the, the 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 notion of gated, ungated. I think we'll have to rethink all that again in the context of cookies. Anyway, so that's one big area. And then the other big area is really just the, what can you actually do with all of these AI tools? And the awkward balance is, yes, helpful to quickly come up with ideas, but really bad for actual copy. I'll give you an example. I was actually on... Mm-hmm. On a call earlier on today with uh, with my CEO, we we're playing around with it uh, with a few bits and pieces, and uh, I used ChatGPT for writing an HTML page using him as I, we just we're just playing around and hey, you know, write me an HTML code for Mike Rosenbaum, uh, CEO Guidewire, just to see what would happen. And uh, it spit out a whole bunch of things, nice code, but then in the text tag, it actually said, you know, he joined the company in 2003. That was wrong. <laughs> that was wrong. He was. Still at Salesforce back then. And I didn't actually spot it because I don't know him that well. Okay, let's face it, throwing out nice names, your CEO and what have you. But it was really he spotted it uh, to say, hey, this is not really quite quite right. Or someone else spotted it. But either way, we realized that there's a degree of checking that you need to do. But so it's finding that balance between using these tools to really accelerate forward into a direction that is going to be you know, more efficient, faster to market, speed to market on the one hand. On the other hand, not risking marketers' nightmare of uh, you know bad press and um, uh, all of this challenge that comes with it. I'm not sure you've been following it, but for example, Samsung, they don't allow usage of ChatGPT anymore. Interesting where that's going to be heading. Currently, I'm leaning more to the side of definitely use it, but with caution. And hence, you know, um, also sort of uh, new skills that I need to learn as well, which is always fun, you know, if you keep doing the same thing. Uh, you drive yourself nuts. Um, I'm spending time learning that. I love that. I, can I ask a couple follow-up questions about that? I think it's such an important and timely topic. And we, as we talk to our guests, a lot of people have brought up AI. I know at my company, we talk a lot about AI. And what I'm hearing, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, is that AI, ChatGPT, these are good tools, but they are not standalones they are not silver bullets and so tell me if that's not what you're saying but that really resonates with me and so correct me if that's not accurate but but then my question becomes it feels like a trendy topic that everybody feels like they need to talk about right now customer facing we talked about blockchain for a while we talked about crypto for a while right now it's ai chat gpt do the customers care do they know what it means are they equating it to customer benefit statements so you've got this tool, but then you've also got the customers. And I'm, I'm really curious to know how you connect that all. 
Yeah, it's a fantastic question. Um, in general, you know, in the tech space in particular, jargon, it doesn't mean anything, right? And it's fad, fud, uh, which one Which one is it really? But put it this way, once every 10, 15 years, there, there comes a, a technology around that you need to have an answer for, you need to have a play for. And, and a couple of years ago, that was sort of, you know, um, it was cloud analytics, social, and um, yeah, you needed to have an answer for it. And at this point, you know, everybody's on cloud, everybody's doing some kind of social, it's kind of sort of taking care of itself. I do feel the big questions now for certainly for the you know executive teams for board level, they, they, they need to have a position vis-a-vis generative AI because it can severely disrupt your existing business. You know, there's some companies who are already stating in the learning space, uh, I think Chegg, yeah, it was Chegg, whose stock price crashed by 50% because the CEO made a reasonably innocent statement to say, yeah, you know, this thing is really disrupting our our business, and the uh, next day, stock price, boom, 50%. And this is a 10,000 employee, so this isn't exactly a small company. So you do need to, to, to have a perspective. Now, the extent to which it affects sort of the end consumer, I think that's still some way off. Do I know whether my insurance company is sending me a letter of informing me of my new policy that a human typed out on a machine, let's face it, on a machine, or is it done by a bot? I have no idea. So it is that balance between seeking greater efficiencies and, you know, from a messaging perspective, again, that's cool what we're talking about here. Yeah, B2B, you sort of have to talk about it somewhere. You know, a lot of companies might have noticed they just added replace their .com with .ai because it's helpful for, uh, for recognition of, of, a, of, a, of a company. You know, I'm more in the field of um, this stuff is revolutionary. And we keep talking about sort of, you know, ChatGPT, the, the, uh, the, the text-based version. But uh, I'm also playing around with some of the images, some of the video making, some of the PowerPoint automation. And my God, that stuff is wild, wild. What you can do. Yeah, tons of risks. I'm still, don't ask me about risk. I'm still not quite there yet. <laughs> just uh, experimenting a little bit. You know, I'm aware, don't give away my proprietary secrets into the bot. At that point, it becomes theirs. You know, when you see some of the imagery coming back and, and you know, uh, sort of having having bobbling heads with a different, your voice, but on a different head. It's just, oof, it's frightening what some of these stuff can do. But right here, right now, I'm a very much living in the present type of a person. This is incredible stuff. Yeah, it's great. Awesome. Axel, what advice do you have for future marketers or the next gen? Great question. I think any uh, podcast that leads towards uh, sort of educating others, let's, let's talk about the next generation. We talked about AI. I think any new person coming into the workforce or any young learner need to be absolutely embracing this stuff. Sort of the notion of becoming a prompt engineer. There's an entire generation that sort of is really comfortable with you know, TikToking around, uh, which is great. But I think that stuff is almost like the, the modern past. What is modern future is AI. You have to become a prompt engineer and engineering word might be too fancy. It's almost like I was reading this article the other day where, you know, a STEM, 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 I'm sorry, but all of these bots can replace a lot of that STEM capabilities. And what is a critical skill set now is really the ability to communicate, to express, to relate, because a lot of that stuff is being automated by these machines. But you do have to have that baseline of um, becoming an AI expert. On the softer side, I also think, you know, part of the technological advances that are possible, it is about being curious. This is sort of more at 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 an inter-social level that I've noticed 
a lack of sort of relative curiosity of asking, not the first question, but the follow-up question. Because we are hung up on, you know, the, the first response or that polarity that has gone into, creeped into society of you're this or you're that. And if you are this, you get labeled and then there's no follow-up question. What is really interesting is to deep dive into, okay, great, you like politician X, why? What, what is interesting about their perspective as opposed to just sort of sticking to the point of, oh, you like them because, you know, you, you, you sort of like their policies. And it's more finding out that second question, that sort of innate research that's been going missing because we just get everything consumed via internet browsing and, and chat GPTing. And then finally, I also think the problem with all this technology, buying stuff online, I've noticed it for a while, is that you don't, nobody engages in the real world anymore. And we're beginning to, to lose these sort of normal communication skills, the handshake, the comfortable of, there are still shops around. And I mean, it's unfortunate that so many shops are, are, are dying, but there's still a real world out there. I'd encourage, especially younger generation, not just to stick to the, the sort of comfort of, of the phone, but also to go out, to meet people, to have that. And, and from my perspective, it's especially to have that experience of not always being right, not always being perfect, and that sort of eating humble pie once in a while, which is really useful to grow as a person and as a human being. Mm, that's great. I've been reminded repeatedly over the last couple of months that knowing is one of the lowest states of being. Love that. That's interesting. Love that. Yeah. Knowing is one of the lowest states of being. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's true. You know, there's other Curiosity, things Curiosity, wonder, question it so much better. Actually, I was just at CEX, uh, Creator Economy Expo, you brought up TikTok, and that's one of the great things about those outlier tangential for what we do on a day-to-day -day basis, potentially, should get to feel stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Your I think, space. It's fantastic. I think there's nothing more important than feeling stupid and, and <laughs> hiring people that are willing to feel stupid and hiring people that are smarter than you and people that are curious and adaptable and all that kind of stuff. I think it's a big theme is just it, not just at work, but, but also in personal life, it's, it's okay to be vulnerable. I'm mentoring a lady and it's something that she, she's sort of naturally a little bit more of an introvert, a bit, bit closed. Uh, and she was asking what's sort of the next thing for me to do in terms of having that, that growth. And it was like, well, allow yourself to be vulnerable. Uh, allow yourself to ask a question. Allow yourself to not being the smartest person in the room. I know she, she said that's oh, so, very insightful. No one's ever told me that before, but it's sort of so obvious that, you know, it's okay to ask a dumb question. I think it's also important to try to be mindful not to ask 15 dumb questions so that, you know, you don't hide the, the dumbness. But question is really one of, I mean, especially like when you join a new company, it's happened to me as well, like all these TCAs, the acronyms that you have no idea what they mean. It's okay to ask, hold on, what does this mean? Um, because it's a, it's a value add and it sort of helps people also to, take a step back and reflect on are we expressing things correctly? You know, sometimes uh, in content messaging, when you just stick to these sort of funny terms that no one knows, but it's not very inclusive, the language. It's not in how you express yourself. You will need to bring audiences in. You don't need to uh, push them out. It was a marketing campaign years ago with the Jeep car company. And the slogan was, it's a Jeep thing you wouldn't understand. And I thought, that's probably really cool for current Jeep owners, but if you're going after net you, you've just excluded everybody else who's never owned a Jeep. I really struggled with that one. I uh, it's yeah, got that I'm, exclusive language. In it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, look, it's it's uh, you know there's a famous Bud Light ad running out there right now. 
is it including new people? Is it excluding previous people? And I think it's it's really tricky uh, to find to find that balance. But this is something that organizations need to work on. Get your targeting right. Get your segmentation right. To know who you're after. And yes, you can you can micro target nowadays. I mean, this is talking about AI. Yeah, you can get the bots to write all the stuff per segment exactly. That's maybe one of the good uses. But uh, yeah, it's something that marketers need to to think about. Like, who exactly are you going after? Can you have the same message to Men, women, should you separate it? Is there an age difference? How you speak to its things? These are challenges over the next couple of uh, couple of months and years. Yeah. All right. I really like this question. We've gotten a slate of different answers. If you could go back, is there anything that you would do differently? In general, as a person, I'm a bit more in the present. I, I try. It's nice hindsight, you know. Oh, if I had known this, I would have done differently. But I don't let my my mistakes. And yes, I have made mistakes. Eat me up alive. But as I, you know, as I'm sort of thinking about the topic, I think there's there's sort of a couple of things that I've been thinking about over the past and you know, vis-a-vis work. When I was in between my or just when I started my MBA, I sort of set a goal to myself. I want to do this MBA thing, and I left a really good job at the time. Cool company. I had a team. It was sort of first time managing a, a larger team. And I kind of made a mistake then to do the MBA then. I, I could have easily waited a year, maybe not even two years, to get a greater depth of experience behind me. So that's something that I, you know, I, I think about that. I don't know what it, it wouldn't necessarily have changed my career, but the learning I would have gotten from that would have been, you know, uh, really, really quite, uh, uh, quite powerful. And on the other scale, and, and I'm also a believer in, unfortunately, nowadays, loyalty is dead. Um, you you got to be you got to be disloyal to your employer, which actually, let me say that differently. You got to be loyal to your employer, but, but you should avoid sticking around with an employer for too long. You know, when, when there's one VP role, two senior directors, over time, only one of them is going to get the job. And if you're interested in that next step, well, guess what? You're going to have to leave. So, you know, if you think you have the skill set and, and, and so forth. And um, yeah, in my case, there was, you know, one particular role, which was a dead end role that I... I'm not going to name the employer, which I shouldn't have, you know, shouldn't have uh, stuck around for that long in the hope of something will change and people will go, opportunities will come. I was stuck with a manager that was useless. The work was, was you know, not fulfilling. I went through sort of personal, like, angst. You know, oh, why am I doing this? And, and I should have just, just kicked the can sooner. So those are, relatively speaking, sort of two things where I sort of, in hindsight, you know, wish things would have gone a bit differently. But, uh, but that's part of the question, right? In order to know what you would have done differently, you had to have gone through the experience. So would I change it? No. Life is a journey. It's not about the destination. It's about the steps, moving forward, moving around. So that's kind of, kind of my philosophy. Got it. Great. Is there a burning topic or something that you really feel strongly about that you'd like to talk about today, Axel? Anything? You know, it's, it's something that I've kind of mentioned already. I've, over the last sort of, couple of uh, year or so, 12 months or so, I've really gotten copy and, and, and messaging. I've really gotten to think about much more. In B2B in particular, quite often what really bothers me is that complete emptiness of statements like, we provide solutions to your problems and you have a color logo name next to it. Like, well, what the heck does this mean? You know, it's, it's which solution, which problem, for whom? And I, and I think any copy, any, and it's not about the copy, it's about a, a clarity of what do you do? Name the category. If you do dental floss, we are dental floss. You know, some company offering dental floss. 
Who do you do it for? We do dental floss for children. That's fantastic. I don't know who does it. And then you know, the third thing is, how are you different? The difference keeps coming back to it. So I don't know. I haven't thought about how dental floss for kids could be different. But <laughs> we do dental floss for kids with the little gummy bears at the end of it. I don't know. Right. Um, name the difference. You know, name and, and instead, what do you get? We provide solutions for kids' problems. What, 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 whom? Right. What, you know, what? And, and this is something that's, that drives me absolutely nuts. And I see it especially in B2B, where you have these absolutely meaningless slogans that put out there with LinkedIn and, and, and Twitter, where you can buy certain audiences. And, and you just assume, oh, yeah, we, we bought the, I'm insurance now, so we bought the insurance tech audience. But you never, that's great for you. But it doesn't say anything on the ad. It's for insurance tech. So I wouldn't know. All I see is solutions to problems. But you don't say who, you don't say what. And this is where, you know, pet peeve of mine, um, something that I think um, is getting lost in the, the art of copy, copy, targeting, segmentation is getting lost in that sort of hyper automation environment in the hyper-personalization space, back to the risk of AI, right? In terms of does it work, does it have any meaning? But uh, yeah, passionate about copy, uh, what copy can do to express a point of view, to get something across. You know, I've seen some some really good copy. Also that dryness of B2B copy, like, eh, who reads this? Who speaks like this? You know, that there's still humans on the other side who want to be entertained and you know, enticed to, to your stuff. It's human, it's still one-on-one. And uh, sometimes it's, you know, that, that we and us, like, it doesn't mean anything. It's you, you know, expressing your language for you. So that's something else, uh, you know, that's sort of part of that, that wider copy art has gotten lost over, over the last couple of years. I love that connection back to the customer. I mean, a company listing the specifications and features is not listing customer benefits or what those specifications and features do for you. I think that's I'm a actually, really, really good topic. Yeah. I'm actually a, a strong believer in in not even talking about your, your product, but, but really the idea is as you sort of expose what you do is, yes, you have a solution to a problem. So the solution is the product, whatever it is that you do. But really the marketing needs to be focused on the problem. If you understand the problem which the customer has, then the solution will become obvious big believer in, uh, you know, just spending a lot of your content, a lot of your ideas on on exposing what the problem in the industry is, what the problem in the space is, as opposed to focusing on the describing the, the uh, you know, the solution and talking about your product. I mean, obviously, this is more applicable to companies that work in an established category versus sort of uh, uh, newer ones. But, but either way, focus, educate about the problem, and then the solution will become obvious. That's great. Perfecto. All right, Leslie, should we go for the, the speed round here to close it down? Uh, I think so. I know that we're, we're technically at time, but actually, have you got another four minutes? I do, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Awesome. Thanks. So if your career is a movie, Axel, who plays you? Oh, my goodness. I have never been particularly good at name your favorite song, name your favorite book, name your favorite movie. So let me... Let me briefly think about this one. I am quite often the sort of, um, I like movies with a contrast of hero and, and victim. And believe it or not, actually, I'm a little bit in tune with the victim. I know you, you want to talk about the heroes. Actually, we'll bring this nicely together, heroes. and But I actually like movies that have a sort of strong victim character because it's about a hero doesn't exist without a victim. Back again to this problem-solution element. You know, someone needs help. It's okay to be helped. But telling the story of the problem, I find fascinating. So, oh gosh, you asked me for a specific one now. 
I'm going to throw the answer in for you, Axel. I'm going to say Hugh, Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, Hugh Jackman. No, for sure. Yeah, Hugh Jackman. <laughs> yeah, no, yes. Yeah, no, no, because Hugh Jackman and sort of the Saber Wolf and those things. Yeah, he is the hero, but he's also the anti-hero. That's a very good one. Thank you, Leslie. I'll, I'll quote awesome. Hugh Jackman going forward. Well done. What's your favorite KPI? In what I do in, in sort of, you know, right now the field of, of product marketing, I'd love to talk about revenue and, and click-through rates and all sorts of other stuff, but I don't own that. Yes, I can report on it. It makes sense for, for product marketers to report on how their product is performing. But there's two things in, in product marketing that you do own that nobody else owns. And that's content produced, not to be confused with being content manufacturer, and content consumed. Who is looking at your content? Sales and, and sort of passing on to sales and sellers. And it speaks more towards the quality dynamic. You know, uh, one of the guys on my team he recently asked me, hey, why do we have to get rid of something? Well, look, no one's looked at it in a year, so... It's not useful to them. In other words, it's useless. So, you know, let's just get rid of it. And that's okay. That's okay. It's part of failing. But then when it comes to, to businesses in general, it's sort of that combination between revenue and profit. I mean, what else do you do, right? If you're not, if revenue is revenue, I mean, that's income. <laughs> that's what we do on. You know, it's, sorry, I'm yeah. pragmatist here. We'd love to talk to you about uh, ARR growth over net, blah, 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 blah. Revenue, period. End of. Yeah. Good. Got to keep the lights on. Yeah. They'll keep the lights on. Hopefully grow, okay. be happy. So, yeah. Yeah. First job, worst job. First job, worst job. I love my first job, first proper job, my part-time jobs. It was more like, you know, when I worked at various bars and um, Burger King, I was like, you know, I got to make some money. And, and this, I'm, I know this is going to my future. I think along the way, what makes a, a job fun is just a good manager, good manager, good team spirit. And one of those sort of miserable experiences that the likes of Burger King was, I just had a shitty boss. Mm-hmm. Got it. Get that. What's the last book you read? The last book I read or I am reading, it's actually, uh, no, I kind of went through this. It's going to be very dry, but it's a uh, book by a lady called Martina Lauchengo. It's kind of the best book for uh, product marketing that's out there. Very comprehensive, easy read. It's part of, she's part of a, a partner at Silicon Valley Product Group. There isn't a lot of great product marketing material out there. So you can read stuff on, you know, how to launch a product and how to, to, to do user research. But something that brings it together is not that much out there. And then on a personal level, you know, I've been more into podcasts lately. So uh, I'm listening a lot of these to these podcasts. You asked me, like, what, what, what I do to, to, to wake up. One, one of my things is quite often I listen to sort of entrepreneurial podcasts because I find it absolutely fascinating the motivation, drive, dynamism of an entrepreneur, whenever I'm a bit downcast and a bit, you know, and days going like, so I listen to these sort of like entrepreneur thing and just keep grinding and keep sort of ideating. I just find that it gives me motivation. It's sort of just inspiring to me. <laughs> That's great. Awesome. Who's the most fascinating contact on your phone? I've always been drawn to people who have uh, very unique, distinct perspectives. And uh, I'll call it Kevin Owens. He is uh, so he, a friend of mine, um, triathlete as well, and, and he's, he's done a whole bunch of different, different things. He swam from Gibraltar to Africa, believe it or not. A couple of Ironmans qualified for the world championship at some point. But what really makes him interesting is he's just a character. You know, he's not afraid of expressing his opinion. He has an opinion. I mean, that's step one. You've got to have a perspective. <laughs> he's not afraid of expressing it. Sometimes a little bit edgy. But uh, he gives and he takes. When he asks a question, he kind of sprang to mind. Great. Fantastic. Okay. I see the treadmill behind you. I was going to ask about that. 
Yeah, so I do triathlons as well, but of running my, but you know, I had some foot issues. So my my last proper race was actually the Berlin Marathon in uh, 2020 or 21, 21. But I've been nursing some foot issues. Uh, mm. So unfortunately, it's been a bit of a challenge. Pandemic investment, you know, split the office in half, get a treadmill going. Behind that wall, there's also other equipment um, that I use. But uh, yeah. but yeah, um, love love doing sports, swimming. As a matter of fact, um, I'm going to go for a swim here once once we're done. Nice. Nice. Well, if you miss it, you can always do the aqua bikes. I tried to do real swimming of, uh, you know, sort of breaststroke and freestyle. It just makes me feel good. It's relaxing. So you wear the aqua bikes for the, in the tri community? I could do aqua bikes. Yeah. No, but my, my, um, my foot problem is actually also a little painful when I push down on the pedal. Ah, shoot. Um, okay. So it's not as, as I, I hear you, but I tried and then you got, find it painful again and you stop. And, and so I was like, eh. Been a bit of a mental challenge to be honest also for the last 12 months or so sure no worries. no worries is there something that you've always dreamed of doing but haven't yet done again pragmatist live in the present not really the kind to say i need to go actually i have done a lot of things um you might be surprised one of the crazier things i probably would have done is i used to do sky surfing many 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 years ago you could jump out of a plane you put a board underneath your feet and you oh use that i've always been and it's because of that, it's like I, I choose to do certain things. If I want to learn another language, I just learn the language. I am actually on Duolingo right now, learning Arabic, learning, oh, wow. trying to pronounce words that I can't really read. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's been a year and a half now. So incredible. Um, yeah, I just try to get on with it. Great. What's the best compliment you've ever gotten? It's not the direct words that people uh, give you, but it's kind of nice when you're being quoted in, in, in a context. And again, I'm, I'm so bad at coming up with things on the spot. The, the sort of spirit of the question is really when people sort of in public repeat what you would have told them, quote or unquote, I, I don't really care. But when they use the words that, that sort of you would have given them or explanation, I find it very, very uh, uh, humbling. All right. Last one. Describe yourself in five words. Energetic, creative, happy, intriguing, and um, international. Global, international. That's great. This is so fun. Fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. so much for joining us. This is great. Thank you. No, I, I really appreciate it. Leslie and Danny, thanks for, uh, I know it's effort for on your end as well to pull this together, that set up and blah, blah, blah. So thank you for, you know, spending time with the community and um, um, you know, getting to know people. I, I really am grateful for the work that you do. Yeah, mm. ditto. Appreciate your time. Thank you for staying tuned. If you're enjoying these conversations, we would appreciate it if you would subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It really helps us to increase the podcast reach. Thank you. See you next week with more inspiring stories. This episode of Marketing Heroes is brought to you by The Search Guru, produced by Circle Audio and podcast cover art by Andra Lazorde.